Praise God. Let me welcome everyone today. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you are here worshiping with us this morning. Praise God. Amen. We're excited about what God is doing and we're moving forward and going to see great, we're seeing great things and going to see greater things and uh, excited about that. Let me just say this really quickly. He'll know what I'm talking about. Brother Chris Knott, thank you. Thank you. you know. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Praise God. I was looking through, this is just a side note here before we get into what the Lord wants to talk to us about today. I was actually looking through last night. Somehow it popped up on my computer. I think my computer was doing an update, and I was looking through on my iCloud, and I was actually looking at some of the pictures from our very first Sunday morning all the way back in June 5th of 2016, and I was looking at that, and then I pulled it back up standing here today looking at this and just have one thing to say. Look what the Lord has done. Wow, praise God. Amen. And it's exciting to see. And, um, you know, uh, today, the four teams will play two games to determine who's going to go to the Super Bowl. And one team in particular that's playing is the Jacksonville Jaguars are playing the New England Patriots at 3 o'clock to determine and for years now, for years, the Jaguars have been a terrible football team. In fact, it's amazing when you see their stadium half the time, they had to block off seats because they just had no one was going to the game. Because let's be honest, who wants to go see a losing team? But there are some teams that you can't get a ticket to because everyone wants to go see a winning team. So I'm just thankful today that it feels like we're winning. Feels like we're winning. And you know what? I know this sounds stupid, but just allow me for a moment. I like to come together and feel like we're winning. I want to go somewhere where it feels like we're losing. What are you doing? Well, take your losing attitude out of here. We're winning. So this is awesome. I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see your participation, what God is doing. And I encourage you to continue to invest in what God is doing because I believe your investment will play off. So continue to invest your time and your resources in what God is doing because I believe we're going to continue to see uh, great things. And uh, I'm, I'm just really curious i look around and uh, it's comfortably full in here today uh it's not going to be too much to determine we might have to figure out how we can maximize the space in this room this is awesome to see so excited about that praise god last night we did a little family thing and um, my wife and i had a few moments and uh, we tried uh, because of schedules and things like most parents do. You're going 90 to nothing. You try to maximize what time you do have with your children. So last night we got a chance, and it's really cool. I don't know if that's the right term, but it's just I'm going to use that term today. It's really cool because my kids are getting a little older now, so we can play games together. They actually can participate. Well, sort of. 
Two of them can. The third one thinks he can, but he's not quite there yet, but you can't convince him that. So he plays along. So we got a chance last night to sit around and play some family games together. But as I sat and I was pondering some things, sort of feeling a direction, and as I got sitting there pondering all of this at the end, and I enjoy playing games, and I grew up in the generation of the video game being released, and my generation was sort of the first generation that got in the video games. And so, I, you know, I'm, 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 I would consider myself, I guess, the term today is a gamer. I like games and, and, and play games and probably sometimes on my phone, probably too much of the games that are available to you. But I realized something that really in all of us, there are games we all play. We all play games Maybe not necessarily computer games or board games or card games, but we all play games in life. A game that most of us have probably played or at least seen at one point in time is the game of Monopoly. Monopoly, if you've never played it, played it before, Monopoly is a board game where the board is divided up into squares that surround the, the exterior of the board the edge of the board is divided up into squares, and each one of these squares has a value. Each one of these squares can be purchased for a price. And at the beginning of the Monopoly game, you are given a game piece. And we used to fight over who was the token, who was the iron, who was the wheelbarrow. I think there was a dog. Somebody help me out. Car. They've updated it now because that's just too old. But you had these game tokens, and so... As you progressed in the game, you were given a, a lot. Of, you were giving a, a a starting bank of money, and you could purchase these squares on the board. And then, as you got all of the particular squares, whether some were two squares, some were three, and I think actually one or two were four squares. Once you purchased all, and you got a monopoly on a certain color, then you could begin to build houses and. These houses had value to them. And if someone landed on your square, they would have to pay rent to you based on what you had on your square. And we all know that two, two houses is good, three houses is better, four is good. When you get four, come on, everybody knows you got to build that hotel. And the object of the game is to really control the board. We always used to see who was going to get the utility companies who was going to get the railroads and ultimately everyone waited with anticipation who was going to get park place and who was going to get boardwalk and if there were two different people how were we going to negotiate so that somebody could receive both of the colors because we know it didn't happen often but if you could get boardwalk and you could build a hotel on Boardwalk. And somebody could land their thimble on Boardwalk. Baby, you're going to get some cash for your pot. And the idea of the game was really not necessarily who had the most money. It was who could control the board. Because ultimately... The control of the board was ultimately who was going to win. 
If you take that idea into our own lives today, I would say that most of us in here have played some kind of game in our life for control. There's a lot of things we try to control. We try to control our image. There's some in here today more than others. Some control our image, how we appear. Some spend lots of money to project an image. You spend time in a mirror to project an image because you want to control how other people view you. You have to control how other people look at you. And so you, you, you control your image by what you wear. You control your image by, by how you present yourself. You control your image by particularly maybe by the car you drive or the house you live in. And there are people in this room and you know people that have gone to great lengths and have put themselves in financial peril to buy things to simply project an image. They've bought a car they should have never bought because that car gave an image. We all laugh at the 50-year-old man driving the sports car because we know what he's trying to project. Hey, okay. we can talk later. We know that the image for some more than others is important. So we try to control that image for whatever reason why we got that place. We try to control the others in here today. Maybe image is not your deal, but there are people in here. You try to control people. So maybe you don't try to control your image, but you try to control people. Maybe today you're in here and you try to control your friends. You could try to control your surroundings and through manipulation and through things like that, you use these tools to control people. I know people. You know them too. And maybe they're in this room and don't look straight ahead, straight ahead, focus. You and I both know people who are master manipulators. That they control you through their emotions. And they control you by trying to make you feel guilty. There are people that try to control you with guilt. They try to control you with mutilation. Some people control others with anger. Some of you grew up in a home where there was a parent that controlled the home but controlled it through anger. And so now that you're older, your attitude is nobody is going to control me again. So in return, you control others. It's amazing. The scary part that we fall into is, is when we grow up hating something only to find out as we get older, we become what we hated. I have counseled people that have grown up in relationships where a parent was one way and they talk to me as a 30, 40, 50 year old person and they're talking to me about their life and they're tracing all of it back to a parent and how this parent was and when they describe their life they don't even realize that they have become just like that parent that has now told them this is, my life was this and I'm looking going, Yes, but you become just that. Some people try to control our problems. We try to avoid things. We try to bury things 
to avoid problems because if we can control our problems, we can control our happiness. And so we go to great lengths to, to get better jobs than this, to more money. So more money equals less problems when you really realize more money sometimes is more problems. And one of the things that we all try to control that probably is common through all of us in this room today, if it's not image, if it's not people, if it's not problems, all of us in this point in time at some place have tried to control pain. Simple physical pain we try to control, but more than that, there are people in here today that your entire existence is built around controlling your emotional pain. Your relationships are affected. Your whole idea of who you are, the whole idea of how you interact with the world, your whole core existence is built around trying to control the pain. The old adage is, you fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And some of us have an attitude is, I've been hurt, I've been abused, I've been taken advantage of, and I will not be taken advantage of again. And I stand here today, and I'm not in, I'm not in this world and the climate we live in, thank God. Whatever your political stance is, whatever you feel like is at the core, I'm not getting into that. I'm just saying, thank God, some of these people that, that, are, that are, I can't say it in the, with kids in here, but you know what I'm saying, that have no business walking the street are finally being caught for what they've done. Praise God for that. Because the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. But we try to control pain. The whole idea that we exist is because we want to control life. And if we're in control, but it's really a fleeting thing. Because really, there's not one person in here today that is attempting to control your life. That you can really tell me today that you're doing it successfully. You may have fleeting moments where you seem like you're making progress, but let's be honest, things happen. Life happens. People happen. Deals go on. You might have everything together and something takes place. Why? Because there is no way for me to be able to control everything. We spend so much of our existence trying to control and what we find out is that when we control things, we end up falling into the trap that we end up doing what we don't want to do and not doing what we do want to do. In fact, I believe Paul gave us this. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he said, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin dwelleth in me. I won't even ask somebody today if you agree with that scripture because I believe at some point in our life, all of us could have written that scripture. I could write that scripture right now. There are things that I want to do that I've determined to do. Maybe it's January. We all started January 1 with things we wanted to do. Two weeks into it, anybody still hanging on to those? God bless you. 
Because all of us in here today, we desire to change. But the problem is, we have an issue. And Paul addressed the issue. You can't change your sin nature on your own. There's a fundamental flaw built into the system. And you can't overcome that flaw on your own. I don't care how many doors you open for little old ladies. I don't care how many times that you give a coin to somebody on the side of the street. I don't care how many good deeds you do. You can't do enough good deeds to outweigh the fact that you have a sin nature. And sin ultimately leads to destruction. In all of us today, we have a self-destruct button. Some, that button is bigger than others. But even the best of us in here today, somewhere in us, we have a self-destruct button. And there are things, situations, participation of things we get involved in that push that button. And all of us, at one point in time, have dealt with that self-destructive button. Some of us today do everything we have in our own power to avoid that self-destruct button. You ever heard the term and you've used the term? Boy, they have a quick button, quick trigger. Don't touch that button. Woo! Man, some people, you ever said, what's that? Who was Office Depot had the easy button? Isn't that right? You hit the button. Staples, thank you. Staples has the easy button. Some of you have a big red button. Because I got to be honest with you. You hit that button. And everybody knows. Don't mess with them. You know, come on. You know people on your job. We won't talk about people in here because we're all saved and holy. So let's go outside the room. You know people on your job that you can't look at. You can't talk to, and when they come down, you better be smiling because they have a big red button. You know what? To a degree, we're all born with a button, but some buttons get bigger than the others because ultimately these buttons are controlled by the things that happen in our life. People that have lived in abusive situations have huge buttons, not because they grew up wanting that, because that's the way they know how to control the pain. And if you get too close to them, all of their senses start to go off because someone is getting too close to the place that hurts the worst. It's amazing to watch two people fall in love. And I put love in quotations. They go out on dates together. They share memories together. They talk. They have long walks on the beach. They're so in love. They couldn't think about having one moment without the other. And finally they say, would you marry me? Yes, I'll marry you. And then within six months, the long walks on the beach are no more. Now we're throwing sand at each other. Forget walks on the beach. I'm going to push you into the beach. How does two people go from these beautiful romantic walks on the beach to wanting to shove each other into the beach? Because you know what? The closer you get to somebody, the more you uncover the pain in their life. 
Two broken people never make whole. Two broken people come together. That doesn't make a whole marriage. It makes a broken marriage. And only by God's grace are we able to mend those wounds in our life. That's why being married in the divine will of God is so important. Because it's that divine will of God that we know that God has placed in this marriage. Because it's a path and a journey, not only for me to love this person and be loved, but it's a path and a journey that I could go on because ultimately God wants to heal me. Because I've been so used to control. The problem is this. Ultimately, to be into control is to simply have this attitude. You can say it all you want. You can spin it however you want to spin it. But bottom line, to be in control is to be God. I know that's strong. But to be in control is to be God. Because see, here's how we handle it. I'm in control until it all goes south and I ask God to come take over. And the moment he comes in and gets everything straight again, I got it, Jesus. I'll take care from here. Only to realize in just a few moments at all, and we have this relationship with God that's built on putting it together, messing it up. Put it together, messing it up. Because ultimately, to be in control is to be God. But here's the deal. All of us in here today that battle with control issues or battle at times with trying to control our life, here are the symptoms of someone who deals with control. Symptom number one of someone trying to be in control is fear. Whether it's fear, whether it's worry, whether it's doubt, it's all in the same family. Because people that are in control battle. People that desire to be in control battle with fear and battle with worry. Whether or not you agree with this statement or not, this is not my statement. This is a, this is a statement from the word. If you're here today and you battle with fear, you battle with worry. At the root of that is a desire to be in control. How do you know that, preacher? How do you know that? I'll give you a perfect illustration. The Bible says in Isaiah that there would become one who was born whose name would become Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. What's that next one? Prince of Peace. Find that to be quite unique because we know that Jesus was the King of Kings. But Isaiah referred to him as the Prince of Peace. We do not live in a monarchy in America. We live in a democracy and we vote for our president, but there are still some countries around the world, whether it's a figurehead or it's actually in reigning power, that still have a monarchy. In England today, even though the prime minister is voted on and he runs the business of the country, there's still a queen. And we know if you go through the checkout line of the grocery store or Rite Aid or Walgreens, you cannot go through the checkout line without finding the fact that William and Kate had another child. Or what has Kate worn today? 
And now the big deal is it's Harry and Meghan, right? Are together. But these young men, and William is considered to be a prince. He's not a king yet. He's in line to succeed his father and to sit upon the throne. But he's not there because there's one throne. And as long as there's one throne and one who sits on the throne, he will always be a prince. And the only way William will ever become a king is the one who's sitting on the throne has got to pass away or get off the throne so that the prince can become the king. And Isaiah said that he will be the prince of peace. Why not the king of peace? Why the prince of peace? It's because prince speaks about what is his right, what's his ability, and what he's able to do. But a king shows what throne he sits upon. He can be your wonderful. He can be your counselor. He can be your mighty God. He can be your everlasting father. But only you and you alone today can decide who sits on your throne. God is not going to play, bump you off, push you off, pull you off. You and you alone have to decide who are you going to allow to sit on your throne. I've used the illustration before, but allow me to use it again. We've all played the game of musical chairs. It's all fun and games until we get to the last one. You all play it. You all know what it's like. You get that last chair. You just, you're getting it. Because you want to make sure you're there because when the music stops, you better be at that. But how many times in the game of musical chairs when the music stops, both people are fighting for the same chair. One's got the right cheek on it, the other's got the left cheek on it. And they're trying. Somebody's got to be the judge who's got more of the cheek on the chair. Because we know who sits on the chair is who wins the game. God's not going to play musical chairs with you today. God's not going to come and bump you off, try to fight with you to get you off. He'll be your prince, but you have to make him your king. How do I make him my king? For thousands of years, the only way a prince could become a king was the king had to die. How do I make the prince my king today? It's very simple. I've got to die. Not physically die, but I've got to die. I've got to die out to my sin nature. I've got to die out to my will. I've got to die out to my ways. I've got to die out to control. Because he who sits on the throne makes decisions. See, you can't have the benefit of the king without the authority and the power that comes with him. Woo! See, we want the kingship of Jesus without the authority and responsibility that comes with having a king. We want the benefit of the kingdom. We won't want to tell the king what to do. Oh, great king, solve my problems. Oh, great king, do what I want you to do. We want to sit on the throne Monday through Saturday. We want him to be the king on Sunday. And we want God on Sunday to solve all our problems so that we can sit back on the throne and mess them up Monday through Saturday. The question today is, I'm not talking about our first-time guests. I'm talking about precious people in here that you were here at 945. I question today, who's sitting on your throne? How do I know that today? 
Are you battling with fear? Do you battle with worry? Do you have the problem sometimes going to bed at night because you're so tormented by fear, tormented by worry? Oh, I'm just a worry person. You know the excuse, well, I'm a worrier. My mom was a worrier. My dad was a worrier. I'm just a worrier. You can use that excuse if you want. The fact of the matter is, if you're a worrier, it's because you want to be in control. Ultimately, to be in control is to live a fear, life of fear. The ultimate to be in control is to live a life of frustration because truly to be in control is like one of my favorite things, to, illustrations. To be in control is like to play the game whack-a-mole. We've all seen that game in the arcade or at a carnival somewhere. Whack-a-mole is a very simple game. You're given a large cushiony mallet. You stand in front of the game. It's got six little moles, not moles on your face, the animal mole, in case you're wondering. The game is pretty slick in how it does it because at first when it starts off, it appears as if you can control it. Mole number one pops up, he pops down. Just a brief moment after that, mole number two pops up. Mole number three pops up. No big deal. This is not a problem. I can handle this. All of a sudden, after a while, the game speeds up a little bit. Now two moles pop up. Got it. Two more. Not a big deal. Then it gets a little more challenging as it speeds up. Now it's three. But if you got a little bit of a quick hand and that dumb rope that's attached to the mallet doesn't stop you, you're able to reach. Boom, boom, boom. It's easy. This is not a big deal. Boom, boom, boom. But the game is built to make you fail. The game is built to make you fail because the game will eventually get to a point that there are too many moles jumping up at the same time and you can't keep them down because the game is over when one mole stays up for too long of a period of time. And it literally gets to the point as the moment you hit it, the moment it's back up. And you're hitting all six at one time. And the only way to do it is you got to bring a buddy in with you. They take care of those. And you take care of that one. And you can rig the game. But even that, the game knows. And the game fails. That's what some of you look like. i got to be honest with you. If we could peer back your week and we can see you on a Sunday when you look good and your Jesus is so good, bless the name of Jesus, but we showed up at your house on Tuesday, that's what you look like. And so what do you do? i got to call the preacher up. I need help with my moles. Preacher, I got a mole problem. Come help me. Because you want someone to get the moles out. I got a perfect solution. Put down the mallet. Step back from the game. Because you can't win. Because the game is going to drive you crazy. It doesn't matter right now. Oh, see, the devil's slick. The devil is not in your face. He's subtle. 
He doesn't step behind the corner with the pitchfork and the pointy horns and the tail and go, boo. We'd all know that and go, ah, the devil, run. He's slick. He's sly. He's subtle. He gets you to think you can do it because he knows you can't, but he pulls you in. I know there's mixed company here. I'll try to be as kind as, 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 as uh, proper as I can. But some of you that came out of that world knew that when you went down to the corner, they'll give the first one to you for free. Come on now, you know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't. And they may even give you the second one for free. Because we know the corner ain't into freebies. And they don't run sales. But they know if I can give you the first bit for free, you're going to end up paying all the money in the world to get the next. You see, the devil will give you the first round for free because he knows if you get hooked, it's going to cost you everything. And we are just some, forgive my language, dumb consumers. We just, we'll take it free. My God, anything's free. Woo, free. My goodness. Black Friday, 160% off. We'll line up for seven hours to get a broken toy because it was free. I mean, people punching each other, knocking over each other over some toy that is probably going to break in a day because it's 160% off. Because if we get that first one for free, guess what? You're going to pay for everything. So the symptoms of control is fear, frustration. And ultimately the final symptom is failure. Because some of us in here today, we live with so many feelings of failure. We battle with failure. We struggle with failure. Why? Because we just can't do it good enough. We try. But it just feels like we always come up short. I want to ask you today to respond to this question just respond simply with your own heart. How many of you here today really, when you step back, you feel like a failure? When you put your life on the scale of what you are versus the scale of what you think you should be, how many of you, it really balances out? Most of us in this room, including yours truly, always feel like the scales never balance out. Because ultimately, to do it on my own is to be a failure. If I feel like a failure, that proves that I'm trying to be God, trying to play God, because God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. God is not a God of mistakes. If I feel like a failure today, that proves I'm, not, I'm on my own throne. Because ultimately, if he's on my throne, he's in charge. You know, the problem is, and we've all had this problem, I, 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 everybody, there's nobody immune to this. We have that choice to make. When you're on, when you're on your own throne and you're controlling your life, 
you're really at the mercy of everybody else. Really. You're really not in control. You're really at the mercy of everybody else. And the problem is, is that even when you're not a failure, people will make you feel like a failure. There are people in here today that you battle at your core with failure because you were told all your life that you were a failure. It echoes in your ears now that you're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. You still hearken back to the days of a child when those echoes in your ear that said you're a failure. You'll never be anything but a failure. Or people told you that simply because your parents were quote-unquote failures, that means you're going to be a failure. And so you've spent all your life trying to prove to everybody that you're not a failure only to feel like you are a failure. There are men in this world, women in this world, that are successful according to the world standard, but at their core, they are driven to prove everybody wrong. Because even when they reach the highest level of achievement, they're not satisfied because when they get to the mountain, they realize it wasn't the mountain that was going to change the way they feel because there was something greater that needed to change the way they feel because they wanted to prove to everybody, I'm not a failure. But even when they get to the top of the mountain, they still feel like one. I'm so thankful today. It doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to live this way. This doesn't have to be the way it is. And even to a greater extent, this is not the life that God designed because he said, I will give you life and that more abundantly. This is not the abundant life. To live a life of control, to live a life of this, feeling of a failure, of fear and frustration is not the abundant life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9, says this, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God's way is not to fix your weaknesses, God's way is to glorify himself in your weaknesses. We try to become strong in the areas we, we are weak, but God desires to be your strength in your weakness. Every one of us in here today has weak areas. Some different than others, not all the same. Some of us, our weaknesses may be Addiction, some of us may be pride, some of us may be control, some of us may be, uh, you name it. There could be weaknesses that lead us to these behaviors. Be careful. Don't judge somebody else just because they're weak in your area of strength. I find that most people judge because they judge someone who has a weakness where they are strong. But to know that all of us have areas of weakness. Every single person from here to there. 
So what do I do? Here's what to do. First of all, God said His grace is sufficient. So all of this requires grace. What is grace? Grace is the power, God's divine power working in me to change. How many of you sincerely, how many of you here sincerely desire to change? You want to change. You don't want to be the same person you are. You want to change. Even if you're a good person, you want to be better. And if you're better, you want to be the best. And if you're the best, you want to be the greatest. If you want to be the greatest, you want to be in the Hall of Fame. If you're the Hall of Fame, you want to be the GOAT. Now it's the GOAT. Everyone's the GOAT. He's the GOAT. She's the GOAT. In case you know what that means, that's an acronym for the greatest of all time. But now that's too cool to say the greatest of all time. Now you have to use the GOAT with the emoji of the GOAT. So what the level you're in here today, there's a desire to change to go farther. But let's be honest. We're powerless. You may not realize that now, but come back in a year year or two, somewhere along the line, you're going to realize you're powerless to change. Can't do it. Can't change. So God's grace is the power to change. So here's what we have to do. Three steps. First thing I've got to admit, I am powerless to change my past. I have to admit I'm powerless to control other people. And I have to admit, I'm powerless to cope with my harmful behaviors. I'm powerless to change my past. I'm powerless to control other people. And I'm powerless to deal with my own destructive behaviors. But James chapter 4 verse 6 tells us this. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Leave that on the screen if you would there for a minute, Andrew. Notice that. That sounds sort of interesting. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I don't know if, I, if, if in a real sense it would make sense to give grace to the humble. Sometimes those words don't really add up, but in the sense, the true sense, to receive God's grace, I have to humble myself and admit I can't do it. I can't change my past. What do they say? Can a tiger, what is it? Can a tiger change its stripes? Maybe it's a zebra. I can't remember. Is it a tiger? Leper. Spots. I'm way off. It sounded good though. Come on. Tigress stripes. A leopard. Same thing, same thing. Same thing. There you go, lion. There you go. Can an elephant change his trunk? The Bible says, can any one of you putting thought add one one small inch to your stature. I know we've talked quite a bit over the last little bit regarding 
being transformed by renewing your mind, that you have to change the way you think. But I got to be honest with you, if you could change the way you think on your own, you would already have done it. So even though we have to change the way we think, you can't change the way you think on your own. The only way to change the way you think is to let God change your mind. Not let God give you goosebumps. Not let God make you feel good. But let the Holy Ghost get in your mind and change the way you think. question today is simply this. Who's sitting on your throne? You say, well, God's sitting on my throne today. Preacher, I'm in church. Well, yeah, maybe this moment you got up long enough to go to the bathroom and he's sitting there. But what about in the morning? Who's going to be on your throne? Who's going to be in control of your life? Are you going to continue to be Battled by fear, frustration, failure? Or are you going to continue to try to control the game? Or are you going to finally admit, I'm powerless, can't change my past. I'm powerless, I can't change everybody around me. Come on, let's be honest. Those of you who are thinking that today, it's a, it's a world today. If your marriage is messed up, just go get a, get a new bride, get a new husband. It's easy. I heard a guy say the other day, he joked about it. It was kind of sad, even though he was trying to make it funny. He said, I've been married for 40 years. He said, it only took me four women to get there. 40 years, it only took me four women to get there. Okay. Somewhere along the line, if that's the case, somebody needs to help you change, brother, because you ain't changing. You can change your wife. You can change your husband. You can change your kids. You can change your job. You can change your car. You can change your clothes. You can change your underwear. Hopefully. Amen to that. But it's not going to change you. I know, I, I believe in fresh starts, but I've seen people run away from problems thinking that changing a location is going to change their issues. But you know what the problem is? Everywhere you go has a mirror. Every new house has the same looking mirror because when you get up in the morning in that brand new house, you still have that same old fella, that same old lady looking back at you. Every car has got a rear view mirror. You look up at traffic, them little two eyes are still looking back at you. It could be a $100,000 car or a $10 jalopy. It still has a mirror because you're still in there. So you know what? Why don't we just start with where it matters? Get up off your throne. And let God be the king of your life. Why don't you just finally today admit and humble yourself and say, God, I can't do this. I need you. I don't want to live frustrated. I don't want to live, I don't live in fear. I don't want to live in failure. I want to get free and let you be the king of my life. We just read it. Leave it still up there. But it giveth more grace, not just some grace. I love that. He doesn't give a little bit of grace. He gives more grace. It means he just keeps giving it to you. Grace and more grace. It's like the infomercial. Buy one. You call within the next 10 minutes, we'll send you two. More grace. Wherefore, he said it. How do I get that more grace? 
I got to admit my pride, become humble, and it gives me access to grace. I wonder if there's anybody in here today that you desire to humble yourself before the Lord and say, God, I want you to be the king of my life. Let's bow our heads for a moment if we can. I want you just to take just a moment here before we go finish today. I want you just to take a moment. I want you to really ask yourself the hard questions. It's just you and your eyes are closed. You and your thoughts. Nobody is peeking in on you. No one can hear what you're thinking. But I want you to ask yourself the hard questions. Are you in control or is God in control? Are you battling with fear? Are you battling with frustration? Are you battling with failure? Who's in control? And if the answer is you're in control, the question I want you to ask yourself is, can I humble myself today so I can have access to God's grace that he can become the king of my life, that I can give him control? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I hesitate to do this because I feel like sometimes it's viewed as tradition. And I never do it out of tradition. I do it because I feel like the Lord is leading us to. Because we read today in, the, in Unlocking the Bible, we read the scripture where James says, Be ye doers of the word and hearers, not just hear the word, but do something about it. You've heard the word, not Joel speaking. I believe the Lord speaking. Now what are you going to do about it? I wonder if there's anybody today that you want to make God the king of your life, that you're willing to humble yourself, get out of your seat as an act of putting away and resisting your pride. Get out of your seat. Come and stand before the Lord, lift your, your, lift your hands and say, God, I want you to be the king of my life. Come on, there's some that are already coming, but there's more that God's spoken to today that you need to respond to the voice of God and humble yourself today and say, God, I'm trying to control. I'm trying to control. But today I realize, God, I can't control it, and I want you to be the king. Come on, if you're battling with fear today, there's an answer. If you're battling with frustration today, there's an answer. If you're battling with failure today, there's an answer. But you've got to make the answer. He's got to be your king. He's got to be your king. Come on, just, I can't make him your king today. You've got to make him your king. You've got to have a coronation ceremony today and say, here you are, God. I make you 
my king. Oh, that's it. Come on. It's a you and Jesus moment. You can't do it on your own. You, I can't make that decision. Your neighbor can't make the decision. It's a you decision today. But is there somebody today that says, God, I don't want to leave this place today and live one more moment as the king of my life. But God, I relinquish control to you. Jesus, be the king. Oh, if you feel led, would you come and help us this morning? If you feel led to pray for someone, we need, we, there's people that are praying. Not everybody may be prayed for today, but if you feel led of the Holy Ghost to pray for someone, please feel free to do this. But those of you that are down here, you're making a choice today. You're telling God, first of all, you're repenting for being the king. And second of all, you're asking God to be the king. You've got to repent and say, God, I've become the king. But God, I want you to be the king. Come on, that's it all across this place. Even if you're not down here, would you just join us in a moment right where you're sitting? You can pray and talk to the Lord right where you are. Maybe you need to talk to God today and say, God, help me. I need your grace in my life. I need your grace in my life. Oh, Jesus, be our king today. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, come on. Come on. Jesus, 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 Jesus,